0: Last week we read about the wealth of the gods and the wealth of the titans. Shorubindo, in one of his um, essays on the secret of the Vedas, he writes very beautifully and majestically, the soul of man is a world of beings, a world of battle. So, we often hear about the battle between the devas and the asuras and what is interesting is we also read about the human beings participating in this battle. Some names are legion, King Dashratha, he participates in the battle and that's where he, um, he gives the boon to KK because she saves him at a very critical point. And he says, whatever you ask me I'll give you. It's in one of such battles, then there is another story of Pururava, which Shubhendu has immortalized in his poem. Pururava also fights a battle, and from the side of the gods in the Devasur Sangram. He is a human being, but he fights a battle between the gods and the titans, and he gets rewarded by Urvashi. It's a very, very interesting. Urvashi, of course, is a celestial being, being of light. And the third is uh, most fascinating, is about Muchkand. Muchkand is a rishi who earns the highest states of samadhi simply because he fights in the devasur Sangram from the side of the gods. And he is asked by Indra, what do you want? He says, I want such a sleep that none can disturb me. Basically, it's about the deep sushupti. You can't have such a mortal sleep. And he is told, okay, and if anybody there disturbs you because of the accumulated tejas and tapas in this state of inner samadhi, he will get burned. And we know how Sri Krishna uses it to his advantage by taking Kali Yavan into the cave. And uh, he (laughs) goes and hides and this terrible Asura kicks um, kicks Muchkund. And Sri Krishna has put his own Pitambar over him. So he thinks Sri Krishna is hiding there. Of course, Sri Krishna is hiding everywhere. He was a fool to think that he is hiding only here. And suddenly Muchkund wakes up and he is demolished. Immediately he dies, kaliyavan. And then Muchkund has the vision of Lord Krishna in his uh, majestic form and ascends back. So this battle goes on actually within. That's how human beings participate. And This is something modern psychology also admits. This wrestle between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And it's a seesaw. Uh, of course in the subtle planes. But particularly in human beings because there is a big advantage and that's what we read last time. There is a Great advantage in human beings, something which we carry, which we don't value or treasure, which is something very small in size, a being no bigger than the thumb of man. And yet, it is so capable, so powerful. It is a light before which the gods bow their heads. We read in that story, Mother says, no one can love as a human being can, because human beings have a psychic essence in them. And that's why even the demons are attracted. Because that's their only chance of conversion. Otherwise they have to wait. Wait till their task is over, which is a terrible task. They have to drink the bitter cup of poison. So, But if they cast something of them in a human being, they have a chance. Chance of being converted. Of course, they give a tough fight. Wherever there is a yagna or yoga going on, Shobindo reminds in one of his letters, these beings gravitate. The gods come called for, and the demons come uncalled for. <laughs> the gods come because they are attributes of the divine and they naturally come. It is even possible for someone, as one progresses in yoga, to unite with one of these godheads. And there are wonderful stories in the ashram pre 1926 when some of these gods were descending and uniting with the psychic being of some of the sadhaks. Later on, mother had to stop all this because it was leading to a state of sometimes romanticization, sometimes aggrandization. People would often ask each other, Oh, you know, this god has descended into so-and-so. So So then she stopped this phenomena. But it's a natural process that whenever one does yoga, gods come. This is a very ancient um, process. Right in the Vedas it is mentioned. In the Vedas they used to consciously call for different gods to help. But Upanishads did away with that and said if you directly invoke the Supreme and for us the mother, then naturally they will come. Wherever the mother goes, the children need her. So they will come. So all these gods come quite naturally because by the very fact that one is invoking the Supreme Mother. So they are invited and called for And yes, there are uninvited and uncalled for fellows. I was going to use the word gentleman, but they are not so gentlemanly at all. Though sometimes they can appear as deceptive beings in a gentlemanly appearance. But it is very difficult for them to keep it up. And they are the Asuras. They come for two reasons. One is to obstruct the Yajna. Wherever they see light, they interrupt. Because it means their end upon earth. And second, they come because they are attracted to the power. The godlike beings come because of spirit of service, dedication, work of the divine. But the asuras are attracted, their eyes on the power. They see that this is the greatest power. So they come attracted. And says that again in one of his letters. And naturally when they touch that power, many of them lose or, you know, they cannot contain it because it requires tremendous purity. Most will not even touch it. Because it looks like, oh, it is just this. And when they try to capture it, it demolishes their world. They become like very ordinary people and they don't like it. So this is why they come wherever these yagnas are going on. And people are attacked. Mother speaks about it at great length. So a natural question arises, why are they allowed at all? Now, they are allowed because, one, they are originally instruments of sincerity. They keep us on the path. So they are like a challenge throne. Every hill that one conquers, before that there will be a test. And these are the forces, not the divine. Very often people say God is testing, Mother is testing. Mother doesn't have to test. Mother is on our side. (laughs) She helps us. She gives her grace to protect us. But there are these self-appointed or providence-appointed guardians or testers, if one may say so, who test And by testing, paradoxically, they are allowed because they increase our limits. They are allowed because when they come and try to inflict injury upon us, they help us grow more sincere and stronger. At one place, Mother even mentions that one of them, the mightiest of them, was appointed to be with her right from her childhood. She says, this titan has followed me like a shadow and has been there with me right from my childhood. And then all of them came near her. All the great titans came near her and then she says, because they cannot attack me, they attack those who are near me, particularly those who have love. Because they want to finish them off. And they know this is the only way they can, you know, they can, whatever, this is a human word, trouble the divine. We see how in Ramayana, Ravana attacks Vibhishna and when he attacks Vibhishna, it's a very touching story, Rama puts him behind and takes that arrow on himself. How when Sugriva is attacked, Rama takes it upon himself. When Lakshmana is attacked, Rama takes it upon himself because that's the only way they think they can trouble and finish the divine work or delay it and prolong it. They know they cannot. Eventually they have to undergo their own nemesis. They cannot be eternal. They cannot last till eternity. But they have a purpose to fulfill. And when their function is over, they vanish. They will vanish. So, just to read a few passages with regard to this aspect. It's very interesting. This is a very fascinating passage. And Mother says, I have a sort of memory and She says, it's the memory of a very ancient story no one ever told me. I found it very interesting. Means something has happened which she recollects. But it is not something which has been told to her and I have not found it in any of the Puranas. So the story is, the first Asura challenged the Supreme Lord and told him, I am as great as you. So surely this is her memory right at the origin. And the answer was very interesting answer. I wish you would become greater than I because then there will be no more Asura. And then the mother explains this. Why she allows? Why the divine is allowed? So she explains this very beautifully that Asura is basically a very ambitious power. Everything. They want to be the sole custodians. They want to be recognized as great beings. Even when they take to yoga great yogis Somebody who was representatives of the divine, they like it. So the divine says, Okay, come, come, come. So they come and they extend their limits, extend their limits. And a point comes where they break free from the limit. And they arrive at the freedom of the infinite. That is the last point. And she says that that's why they are allowed. So she says, the, These are old ideas. What are old ideas? The old ideas of two powers opposing each other. So this used to be the traditional understanding of these dark and light forces they are fighting. Now there is a change of plan. Divine can change his plan. At one place somebody asked mother about Pakistan. She says, in fact no, this is a note and then she reveals the truth. She says for one reason or the other or for no reason at all, the divine has changed his plans about Pakistan. (laughs) This is just a note. No one knows what it means. So later on, mother was asked about it. She says, I know how it will happen. It will not happen through battle. She made it very clear, it won't happen through battle. So how will it happen, mother? She says, it will split into five parts and they will unite with India in a confederation. Something which we can see the seeds beginning to stir up. So she says these are old ideas that they fight with each other the power of good and the power of evil the battle between the two which of the two will have the last word there was a time when children were entertained with such stories of course children in spiritual life they are just children's stories so she is now this is uh, way later much far beyond some people, then she gives us the truth. Some people or beings or forces in order to progress need to give themselves to merge and in total any self annihilation they attain realization. So these are the godlike beings. They forget themselves, give themselves becoming nothing and nothing and nothing and eventually the divine occupies everything. So there is nothing but the divine the classic example sri ramakrishna used to give was one of his disciples forget the name a very well known disciple who would anything one would ask but you know his answer would be i am nothing the lord is everything and he says that this is a path of humility it's a wonderful path but he also says but if you ask Vivekananda he will say i am everything of course this i was the Self, it's not, it's a great self. But he says the other path, equally valid, through which you discover the same divine, is when you disca- say you are nothing. So they give themselves to merge and in total self-annihilation they attain realization. For others, the path is diametrically opposite. It's a growth, a domination an expansion, which assumes fantastic proportion until the separation disappears. It can no longer exist because it will reach a point. We had in this Mahadev serial, very interesting story about um, Lohitang. He grows and grows and grows and he has final confrontation with Shiva. He has even discovered that the world was built by the word. So he wants to get the power of the word and capture the divine by the word. Still he has this need of power. So he tries to hypnotize Shiva through this Drum beats. He says, no, music is the weapon. I can't beat him through other weapons, but with music I can capture him. So he learns the art of music. And with music he wants to capture and Shiva seems to be almost captured. But he doesn't realize that as he plays the music to capture Shiva, a time comes when he becomes so much shiva that he loses himself into Shiva. Falls at his feet because he realizes that yes, there is no difference. And that urge to be greater, to be more, that ambition to dominate vanishes. So she speaks of these two paths. Some prefer this path, others prefer that one. But when we reach the end, it will all meet. This is an amazing bifurcation of two paths. We normally hear about the traditional paths, but this is something very different. Ultimately, the one thing necessary is to abolish limits. There are many ways to abolish limits. And maybe they are all equally difficult. So, this is the work of all these beings in the Vedas. They are called Panis, Vritras, um, Nimuchi, very weird names. Um, What is that? Strange names. Better not to remember these creatures. Wala. (laughs) <laughs> of course Raksha, Saas, so what do they do their basic action is division so they create a division first division is I am this body this is a division so that's why mother says this itself is falsehood or I am so and so I am my surname I am this, I am that, I am this language I am, th- I am that particular pride ego, that's how they limit us and finally they create a gulf between the world and the divine And Sri cautions us, he says some of them are very religious and extremely ascetics. When asuras do sadhana, they take to the path of asceticism and harsh asceticism, where they punish themselves and they almost torture themselves like the titans of old. And mother says that they have this idea of ascetic purity, not the true self-denial, but a self-immolation where you make everything suffer. So this is the path they take towards going beyond the limits. And then she gives another way that they act. And this is very interesting, what they have done to capture human consciousness. So mother gives the example, story of a friend she had in her studio. And they would paint together and because of mother's influence, she got rid of many of her traditional ideas. But she used to say that only one thing torments me. Daytime, I am free of all these ideas. But at night, I start being tormented by this idea that what if there is a hell? You know, this idea of hell. If you make a sin, you will suffer in hell. You will be cast into hell, eternal hell, damnation, etc. So she would say, at night, she told me, I suddenly wake up with an anguish and something from my subconscious obviously tells me but after all this what if you go to hell because she came from a family of archbishops and cardinals so this idea of hell was very deep inside her then i looked mother looked and she saw that there is a whole formation of an like an octopus which has taken people in its grip through the fear of hell and then she says It takes people in the grip through fear of hell. Even when all your reason, all your intelligence, all your feeling is against it, there is at night that octopus of the fear of hell which comes and grips you. So this is one of the ways that they act. Then there is another problem that we are all of course going through on the borders and you know people are rushing to fight. They think this way, that way and of course I must say that once again our... Honorable Prime Minister has risen to the stature of a super statesman coming out with out-of-the-box ideas. So when Mother was asked, because a lot of people say, Oh, Mother wanted India and Pakistan should become one, so we should fight. Yes, in 1971 she gave a message like that. But later on, when she was asked, she said something very interesting. The disciple says that everywhere in the world we see havoc, chaos, disorder. And particularly in India, And mother says, yes. So, the disciple says that all this is pitiable. Mother says, but up above, one really isn't in favor of havoc. Kali's method. She says it's not in favor. So, the disciple says one isn't in favor of havoc. I mean, he feels that people should be shaken up. Mother makes a gesture of vigorous denial. She says it's a waste of time. All the more so as men have perfected such means of destruction that it could mean centuries lost, not, not just a few years. Entire civilizations to rebuild. That is a big change between 71 and 2016. The kind of nuclear arsenal that today everyone has is nothing which could be just dismissed passingly and it it is a real threat so going into a war is very easy and it may satisfy some egoistic uh, feelings of or hatred but it's very dangerous and she says vigorously she denies no this is not what the divine wants and then she says No, one isn't in favor of that. It is a seething of something very dark. Very dark. It reminds me of the words of the Lord of Nations. One of the four great Asuras. Two accepted to get converted. Unconsciousness and suffering. Suffering dissolved into the Lord. And unconsciousness got converted into the being of consciousness. But two of them, death and falsehood, they refused conversion. Mother tried with death, but... He could not. He tried but could not. Falsehood outrightly refused, saying that I, will, I know I have to end one day. I have to surrender myself to you. But before ending, I will create as much havoc as I can. So Mother recount this story. It reminds me of the words of the Lord of Nations, the great Asura, when he told me, I know that my power is drawing to its close. But you may be sure that before disappearing, I will destroy everything I can. So, what do we do? She says, and unfortunately, people give him the opportunity to do so. It's stupidity, ignorance, a sort of blindness. How do we give the opportunity? What's lamentable above all is the way men confuse power with violence. So we give an opportunity when we take to violent means. It's not, that, it's not, it's not to be confused with that Sri Aurobindo is speaking of non-violence, of the Gandhian type, no. But in general, so he says that people give opportunity through violence. That sort of ignorant feeling that thinks power must manifest is violence. Violence is an Asuric deformation. True power acts in peace. A peace like this, which nothing can disturb. So here is another pointer she gives. And then she gives us another very interesting something. There was a tantric guru who used to invoke uh, various mantras. This is something very fascinating. I haven't uh, read it elsewhere in any of her passages except this one. You know, very often people use all kinds of mantras. Sometimes mantras which invoke some of these gods. And this place, mother says very categorically with regard to this tantric who was invoking the overmind gods to fight the titans and circle them. And mother tells him, Don't do it. And she says something very interesting. I told him to stop. And use that mother's mantra. This is referring to Om Anandamai Chaitanya Mahi Satyamai Parme. The highest one. She says don't use the other mantras. It's dangerous. I explained it all to him yesterday. I told him he shouldn't wage a direct fight. One must try to lean for support on the force one has inside oneself which is everywhere and can overcome the difficulty. Instead of fighting, live in the other consciousness. In the consciousness of the Divine Mother. So you are safe. So this method, and elsewhere I have read, but Mother's writings, first place I have read this, that when we invoke these other gods, basically we are going for something inferior. And though it may give results, it has dangerous backlash because these forces, the moment we are off guard, they will hit back. But when we invoke the Divine Mother, then we go safe, then we don't even have to fight them. Then there is a talk on, uh, you know, something, how to safeguard from the adverse forces. This is in 1953, rest of it is from Agenda, this one is 10th June 1953. And the mother says that this force attacks only when there is something which responds in the nature, however slight it may be. Again, we go back to the battle within us. So it's no point blaming outside. So she says something in us is open and in affinity. And then she reveals also what are some of these elements. Something corresponding. There is a disorder or an imperfection which attracts the adverse forces by responding to it so if the attack comes you must keep perfectly quiet and send it back so we have to remain quiet and of course sure gives several places in the letter in his letters call the mother so when we are attacked to remain quiet and call the mother instead of we respond with fear and they some of the things like for instance illnesses are characteristically caused by them and if we are afraid then they just invade the entire system So she says, call the mother and remain quiet. And then she gives a very interesting example. Take, for example, it is one of the most frequent things, the force of depression. So depression is literally like waves. It comes and attacks. And then we find reasons. Sometimes uh, we know there are no reasons. But very often we will say this reason or that reason. But it's nothing but a wave that comes and attacks us. It's an attack from the adverse forces. You lose hope. You lose confidence. You have the feeling you will never be able to do anything. You are cast down. These thoughts come. And we accept them. And say yes. The moment we accept these thoughts, then their play starts. But if we don't accept these thoughts... If we remind ourselves, we are children of immortality. We are made of the essence of the infinite, substance of the Divine Mother. Then we are safe. But they come over power and we begin to say, ah, I am useless, I am worthless, I have no hope, Mother has abandoned me, Shabinda would not even look at me, I am such a bad fellow, horrible fellow. Then we are gone. It's not their fault. Their love is infinite. But we begin to limit it. You are cast down. It means, now why it happens is, it means there is in your vital being something which is naturally egoistic. Surely a little vain. How? She explains, which needs encouragement to remain in a good state. So, it happens mostly to people who want others to tell them, Oh, you are very nice. Oh, you are so good. (laughs) Always, they need some praise, something from another. If they don't get it, they are into the dumps. And it's so simple actually if you we look at it. So very often you know the true empowerment, people speak about autonomy, freedom and empowerment is not to depend on anyone for anything, least of all for our own self-esteem. Why should somebody else decide what we are and who we are? They don't we don't give them the right, but by depending we give them the right. We need that little pat on the back, ah well done. Now by doing it, we have kept a door open. One day or the other, the old fellow man of sorrows will see it and enter through it. And then we will say, ah, today nobody told me I am nice. See, I was dressed so well. People can't notice. I made such good food. They don't even appreciate. I am such a good person. You know, people used to say, mother didn't smile at me. She must be angry with me. Even this, they were. They wanted even from mother that same thing. Oh, she did not touch me. But I saw that when she, somebody did pranam, she touched the person. So, mother loves him more than me. Same thing they were throwing on mother. Oh, mother looked at me with round eyes. Actually, you know, when we do something... Again, so-called wrong. We are full of these things. So, oh, mother will be angry. So, when we go, we look at her and yes, mother is angry. Mother is all karuna, compassion and love. If she will look, it is only to remove that dark spot, not to throw us away from her. And so, they would write letters to Sri Aurobindo and Sri Aurobindo has to clarify. So, even with divine, we need these encouragements. So, it is like a little signal for those forces which intimates to them, you can come, the door is open. (laughs) But there is another part in the being that was watching and it can say no I do not want that, it is not true, I do not want it. And so as long as we have not effaced it they will always come. So this is one part that she says. And then she says that we have to have vigilance and courage. Little courage. Because we don't like to see these parts. It's easy to blame somebody else. Oh, look at it. Why won't I be depressed? So and so misbehaved with me. But to look at oneself, regardless of that, the other person may have behaved very badly. That is the other person's karma. And he will take it with him. It's his problem. But what am I doing? Why am I making myself suffer? Because of somebody else's stupidity. So this is where we have to be vigilant and have courage to look that part, take it out and throw it far. And here it's not even far at the Samadhi and the Bay of Bengal. So, you know, we can throw there and the waves will carry it away. So she says, we have to remember that I will not catch the thing anymore and throw it away. Then the disciple says, But when we throw it out, it does not die. She says, yes, it does not die. It will either come back to you like a ball. So you have to do it several times. Like a ball, it will come back. So you have to remain vigilant. Or it will go and eventually take hold of somebody else. So you will be free, but somebody else will be in grip. There was a very interesting story I read as a child and I understood the meaning much later. It was called Chakradharki ki Katha. So Chakradharki ki Katha is... I don't know if somebody is ready to not. So there were four friends who go in search of a treasure. So some guru has given them that, you know, if this uh, carry this lamp, if it falls, there is a treasure, pick it up. So uh, the lamp falls at some place. So they dig inside and they find in it iron. So this is nice. We can, you know, sell it and become rich. But uh, the other three say, but iron is iron, you know it, uh, okay, we can sell it but it won't be worth much. So he says, but I am satisfied, I can do some business and start something. So other three go on. So the lamp falls again, so they dig and find silver. So he says, ah, lovely, thank God we went further. So they take out the silver and one person is wanting to go back, but the other two say, no, 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 see, iron, silver, next will be gold. So, but the silver fellow goes back. So, now two are going, sure enough, the lamp falls and they find gold. Now, one of the two says, I think this is enough, we should stop, this is very good, enough for us, and both of us can make lot of money, but one fellow says, no, no, you want to go, you go. I am going to go further. So, he goes further. Now he is alone. As he goes and goes the lamp doesn't fall. And he reaches a point where he sees a person who is sitting there with a chakra going on on his head. And he is tormented by it and wanting that chakra to cease. But as soon as he goes that chakra leaves this man and gets into this man's head. And this man who was tormented by the chakra says thank you so much. Thank God. He says why? Why? How come this has happened? He said, like you, I had also come so far. (laughs) With greed. So I was not satisfied with the little I got and I more and more till finally I reached a point where this chakra is now tormenting me more and more and more. So there is a point where we have to be vigilant and these forces will go and catch those who are now more open and ready till they touch a spiritual person who has the occult knowledge and can dissolve it. But that is a different story altogether. Because such people are not many. Another thing which he says particularly important is a kind of vanity and pride which opens the door. And very strangely, vanity is a strange um, thing which I have found in people who often don't have anything to be boastful about. But they have vanity. You don't know who I am. Vanity. Jay Vijay. Typical story. You don't know. We are so close to Lord Vishnu. We are his guarding. Are you, you are guarding or the Lord is guarding? They forgot that. We are the guardians of the Lord. We protect him. Oh, you will protect the Lord? Yes, of course. (laughs) So, sure enough, who else but Brigurishi? He says, oh, you are protecting the Lord. Get lost into the dark Asuric worlds. That is how they became Shishupal and Kansa and you know Shup and Hiranaksh, and finally Ravan and Kumkarna. So because they fell down. Vanity. Vanity can come even right near the Lord. We are special. Special children of mother. Elite club. So you know she tells us why to be careful. Otherwise we get possessed. It attracts them. And then the disciple asks a very interesting question. And it answers many of our questions. Would it not be better to change them? To change people who are under the grip of these forces? Mother says, Ah, my child, certainly it would be better, much better. But then, it is a domain of which I have a thorough experience. After 40 years of sustained effort, I have found out that it is absolutely impossible to change anyone unless in truth he wants it sincerely so this idea that just because we are here we will change shervinda told it very humorously when somebody told i believe supermind is going to descend in the playground so the first people to change will be those who are going to playground because they are very near shubinda says in that case my desk should be the first thing to change Because it is very near me. (laughs) So we may remain like a block of wood or a block of stone. Nothing happens. And mother is saying 40 years of sustained effort. (laughs) It is not a joke. The divine herself is saying that you won't change unless you want to change. Maybe something bit happens that's a different thing. So we have to want to change. And then she says I have tried for 40 years. One can try it for 140 years. It will be the same thing. He won't stir. It is the very character of these beings to be perfectly satisfied with themselves and they do not desire, they have not the least intention to change. They are very happy with what they are. Very proud about who they are and they do not want to change. So, at the end she says something very interesting though. It's a long passage. but Still, The only chance these beings have is to get converted. And how they get converted is only if they take a human vessel. They are wholly on the other side. They do not have within them this psychic element, these beings, the asuras and the adverse beings. They are made up entirely of the opposite movement. They are made up of personal self-assertion. Deepothic authority, I am the boss, listen to me, there is no, nobody else. These are people who, are, who embody these asuric elements. Whatever I say, that must happen. Mother would change so many of her, you know, what she had said. And people went on saying, mother, what is this? You said something yesterday, you are changing it today. And mother says, my child, I don't have anything fixed, depending on the play of the forces. And sometimes this is very interesting. Yes, I said this yesterday. Today someone came and he has revealed these things. So I have changed. As simple as that. What tremendous plasticity. No rigidity at all. But the asuras are very depotic. Separation from the origin and of a great disdain for all that is pure, beautiful and noble. They don't like it. If you mention things which are beautiful and noble, they almost feel contempt for it. They do not have within them this psychic element which in man, even in the most debased, makes him respect what it will, what is beautiful and pure. Even the basest man, in spite of himself, against his own will, respects what is pure, noble and beautiful. But those beings do not have that. They are wholly on the other side, totally. Totally. It disgusts them. It is for them something which should not be touched because it destroys. It will make them disappear. Why darkness hates light? Because if it meets light, it disappears. Goodwill, sincerity, purity and beauty are things which make them disappear. So they have these things. Now I do not know on what grounds one could convert them. What would be the point of support? One might put it that some of these beings will not disappear until hatred disappears from the earth. One might say that hatred will disappear from the earth when those beings disappear. But for the reason I have just given the power to make light spring forth in the place of darkness. Beauty in the place of ugliness, goodness instead of evil, that power man possesses. It's one of the greatest tributes to man. In one place Shivinda says this aphorism, To see beauty in the ugly and good in evil, this is man's greatness. Man can do it. The asra does not. Therefore, it is man who will do that work. It is he who will change. It is he who will transform his earth. And it is he who will compel the Asura to flee into other worlds or to dissolve. And now we understand the deepest import of the Puranic legend. That how some human beings participated in the Devasur Sangram from the side of the Devas and defeated the Asuras. Otherwise it is a seesaw battle. After that all Will be quiet. One last quick comment because mother spoke of this comment with regard to this talk. It's a short little comment. Hmm. There it is. In agenda on May 25th, 1968. This recording of this old playground talk of June 10th, 1953, which we just read, is taken out. And mother asks, what is the talk about? So the disciple says, attacks attacks by adverse forces and asuras. Mother says, oh, laughing. That's a convenient way of putting the blame on others. When now people tell me about attacks by adverse forces, I always feel like saying to them, The adversity, the adversary is within you. I think it's a very convenient way to get impunity. Because if you are perfect, they can't do anything against you. It's absolutely obvious. It's imperfections that give them power. So if we shift our standpoint, as Sri did, we will see, as he said, that the so-called adverse forces are tolerated because they are useful to awaken people to the need for transformation, to the urgency of purification. So we will stop here.